This is Jimmy Burns from Melbourne, Ohio, and you're listening to Barbecue Central. Do it live. Okay. Well, do it live. I can. I'll write it, and we'll do it live. So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and. Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Important to the world, the galaxy of barbecue and grilling, originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I am your program host, Greg Rippey. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday live fire fun and frivolity show. If you want to jump in on the show this evening, here's how you do that. You can get in touch with the show by calling 216-220-0966. Email Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. On the Twitter and Instagram, at BBQ Central Show. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, the BBQCentralShow.com. And here's what's happening in case you didn't get the newsletter. Coming up in about 12 to 13 minutes from now, it is the third Tuesday of the month. And you know what that means. We're going to be getting a visit from a Barbecue Hall of Famer, a Barbecue Central Show guest Hall of Famer, a cooking class instructor, the most prolific live fire cookbook author the world has ever seen, and regular Third Tuesday standing guest Stephen Reichlin will rejoin us. Last month, we were talking to Stephen about getting ready to go to Maryland to shoot Season 2 of Project Fire. We talked about the game plan. We talked about the special items that they were going to have in place. And now we will go recap. I actually saw some social media of Stephen making the train trip or maybe he planed it for a certain amount of time or drove it a certain amount of time and then ultimately ended up taking a train into Maryland. So we'll see how it all played out on the TV side of things with Stephen Reichlin. Plus, we will talk about how to grill the perfect chicken breast because sometimes that's hard for us to do. And we will also talk about the six or seven dishes, if we even get to that many, items that you need to do on your barbecue or grill in September. We are now almost all the way through September, so if you haven't been keeping track, if you're not visiting his website, you're missing out, but we'll get you up to speed. Then we will talk to the first ever full-time barbecue editor in the country. He writes for Texas Monthly. You can find him at tmbbq.com. We'll be 
rejoined by Daniel Vaughn. Plenty of items to talk about with, hmm, how do I want to say that? Plenty of items to talk about, plenty of items to talk about Daniel with. That still sounds weird. Doesn't matter. A lot of topics to discuss with Daniel. Not the least of which is something that is going down in the Austin, Texas area. That even in an age where meat does not necessarily have to mean coming from cows, they come from plants, plant-based meat products. This one might take it a little bit further down that road. So I don't know how surprised we will all be, especially if you've been keeping up with either Texas Monthly or just watching all the different barbecue publications. This is something that has the potential of blowing your very mind. So stay tuned for Daniel Vaughn, 35 Pass. Then we'll move to the second hour. The other third Tuesday of the month standing guest, of course, Robin Lindars from GrillGirl.com. As I had said in the newsletter release, I think there's a lot of showing perfection on social media. We want to take our perfect shots. Even if it's not perfect, there's plenty of ways to doctor up items to make them look even better than they turned out. But why not talk about the losses? Why not talk about the failures? Why not talk about the things that you have had trouble with so other people can learn and not go through the same learning processes that you have to go through? You'll tighten the learning curve, as it were. And tonight, we're going to talk about some pellet cooker maintenance. We will also be talking about how to do pizza on the pellet cooker with the pizza oven attachment, both Robin and I have had issues. Mine's been more of a learning curve. Robin will be uh, going from one Green Mountain Grill to a newer model Green Mountain Grill and a newer pizza oven insert. Some of those dynamics have changed, and we'll talk about that. And Robin has also had her own pizza challenges. So we're going to lay it all out on the line for you, tell you where our problems have been, and then hopefully if you have a similar setup, Maybe you haven't had the same items of issue yet, or maybe you just haven't gotten into the cooking part of it yet. We're going to offer some help, some tips and tricks to prevent some heartache and sorrow and ruined food, whatever. So Robin Lindar's 14 past the second hour, and then we'll close it out with first-timer to the show, founder of Bloodsoe's Bar and Q in Compton, California, Kevin Bloodsoe joins me. He'll be a judge coming up this Friday along with Melissa Cookston on the Netflix show. American Barbecue Showdown, I think it's called. So we'll talk to Kevin about getting on that show. He's got a very deep barbecue backstory that given the time frame of that segment, I don't think that we're going to be able to get into all of that. We might touch on it a little bit. I doubt it. But we'll talk a lot about the TV show. We'll talk about a lot of barbecue and TV in general. Some things that he has coming up otherwise outside of the TV aspect this coming Friday. So looking forward to meeting and chatting it up with Kevin Bloodsoe from Bloodsoe's Bar and Q. There you go. That's how the show lines out. Don't forget you can follow me socially at BBQ Central Show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Not Facebook. Well, Facebook too, I guess. Slash BBQ Central Show on Facebook. You can also find a live video feed there. There's also one on YouTube. There's also one on twitch.tv slash BBQ Central Show. So however you want to figure out how to watch me, go ahead and figure that out. I'm happy to have you. 
let's start here this week. If you missed the show last Tuesday and haven't gotten to it yet on podcast, you've missed one of the all-time hoodwinks in show history. And it wasn't even planned. Like most things, when something happens organically, it yields the best results. And there was no greater proof than what happened at the top of the show last Tuesday. After I finished with the normal show intro and setup, I had a quick throwaway line about wishing Robin Lindars a happy birthday, which it was last Tuesday. And right at the end of the birthday wish, I said that she was turning 68 years old. Then I even played a laugh drop to make sure everyone knew it was a joke. Quickly moved on from there. Never even gave it a second thought. In case you missed it, here's what that portion sounded like. First and foremost, as we get to some house cleaning, we want to wish a special happy birthday to third Tuesday of the month regular guest, founder of GrillGirl.com, Robin Lindars, who turned 68 today. Congratulations, Robin. Hope you have a great birthday. All right, so you hear the laugh track. You hear me say 68. Maybe I even chuckle a little bit. Then we got into the meathead segment, and he stopped me before we got any before we got into any of the topics to reveal to me and the audience that he was completely astounded and shocked and or otherwise in disbelief that Robin had just turned 68. 68! Here's how that sounded. She you said that. something in the in, in, in the warm-up. Yep. Robin is 68? Yes, Robin is 68. Uh-oh. I'm laughing at him. All right, now I got to tread lightly here. I got to tread <laughs> real lightly here in the right. Me Too era. Yes. But yeah, careful. Robin just does not look 68. Well, believe it or not, she is 68 as they come. 45. No, Robin is 68 years old. Believe it. Take it to the bank. Unbelievable. So let me ask you something. Is there anyone out there last Tuesday that heard this live or caught it during the week in podcast that thought I was for real for one second? Did any of you think that Robin turned 68 years old? Well, I know one of you did, and that person's name is Meathead, and I couldn't believe it. He never even questioned it. And as you heard in the clip, when I realized he was totally invested in that sham of a story... I directed him to talking about Michigan fruit or cold weather climate fruit so we could let that moment live forever in infamy, let's say. Yes. (laughs) We will set the record straight with Robin next hour. Believe it. But what a guess. If I can ever top that hoodwink, I'll be amazed. But you know we're going to try. Steven Reichlin is in the green room, and we'll come back to chat with him. I'll talk to you quickly about Pits and Spits. Since 1983, Pits and Spits has been handcrafting smokers and grills right there in Houston, Texas, establishing itself as one of the premier brands in high-quality offset smokers and pellet cookers. They've set themselves apart by using heavy 7- and 10-gauge steel in every cooker, fully welded construction that you can feel when you use the unit, and 304 stainless roll-top lids and front shelves on every single smoker. So why does it matter? Well, by using higher-quality materials, pits and spit smokers reach and maintain temperatures, allowing you to worry about the meat more than the heat. Providing a fully welded smoker, you don't have to worry about grease and smoke leaking out of the barrel. 
Or about that grill rattling apart as you move it through the yard. You know you're going to do that. Also, with 304 Stainless, you have an heirloom quality product that will be around for generations. When some companies are focusing on being a low-cost provider, Pits and Spits focuses on craftsmanship and quality materials. Are there cheaper ways to make this product? Sure. But they don't like tack welds, cheap stainless, electronics that you can't trust. Having in-house manufacturing gives them complete control of the design and standards. That's not something you'll find in products brought in from overseas. Their steel suppliers supply materials to be used in some of the harshest environments around, so they will perform wherever you are. And their controllers are made right here in the USA. They have unimpeded transparency into the program. Pits and Spits has a dealer network across the country. If there isn't one close to you, give them a call at the shop, 844 844- 650-6250 whether you're a backyard grill master looking to cook steaks for the family or a competition barbecuer looking to do 50 racks of ribs Pits and Spits is a product for you you can check out all the products at pitsandspits.com all spelled out or you can see their pits in the wild across the social media handle at Pits and Spits alright once again Robin not 68 We will address that next hour, right around this time. And we will load in Stephen Reichland right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Casting live from the Barbecue Central Show Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Hey, this portion of the show being brought to you by Butcher Barbecue, makers of award-winning injections, marinades, rubs, seasonings, barbecue sauces, grilling oils, all of Butcher Barbecue products tested on the competition circuit as well as backyards worldwide. Be the pitmaster of your neighborhood and visit butcherbbq.com to stock up now. Always trust your butcher. Barbecue mud available for sale. Central Lights, third Tuesday of the month. You know what that means. A time to visit with an icon in the industry, a host of TV shows. The creator of the very popular Barbecue University, author of the most incredible barbecue and grilling cookbooks out there ever, and a third Tuesday of the month regular guest, so we race to the hotline and welcome back Stephen Reichland. Hey, Stephen. How you doing? I am fabulous, Stephen, and you look like you are perhaps getting ready for a sauna. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in a uh, cabin at a beautiful retreat called Pearlstone in Ricerstown, Maryland, where I've been taping uh, the next season of Project Fire. And we are uh, a locked, it's, it's a lock set. Uh, we all had a million COVID tests coming into this. Mm. Nobody comes in, nobody get, goes out. We've been uh, together for 12 days. Tomorrow's our 13th day. We're going to wrap the show on Thursday. So, uh, it's been a pretty amazing experience. So when we talked last week, we or sorry, last month, we were right. doing yep. a little bit of a setup in regards to uh, things that you had to put in place that you had never had to take into account when you were shooting a TV show. So as you are rounding out through the shooting period, as you said, you'll be wrapping Thursday, 
Uh, how has it gone so far? How have things compared to previous shoots? And then uh, how have the things that have differed really differed? Well, uh, first of all, it's growing great. I think it's the best shoot we've ever done. Wow. We have a terrific team. We've, uh, you know, many of us have been working together for 12, 13 years. We get together once a year, so it's like a big family reunion. Only this time it's a socially distanced family reunion and our meals are all at eight foot long tables. You know, every person, uh, you sit at the ends of the tables. Uh, I came up from Miami to Baltimore by train because our COVID uh, advisor and that's a new, you know, we have cameramen, we have sound guys, we have uh, field chefs. Now we have a COVID officer uh, on the set to make sure everybody's safe. So he thought that my taking a train uh, 24 hours would be safer than flying. And it was interesting and very zen experience. Um, everybody, and you'll see behind the scenes, because, you know, in my shows, it's very important that we do the behind the scenes uh, shows. And you'll see everybody's in a mask. Uh, only person on the set that doesn't have to wear a mask is me. And that's when I'm on the set, you know, talking. Uh what else has been strange about the year? Uh, Stevie, can I interrupt just for one second? Yeah. I think when I was eight or nine, I once took an Amtrak train from Albany, New York, to somewhere around Hornell, New York, and that was the only time I had ever been on a train. Uh-huh. Uh, I would assume, given the extensive amount of travel, you have much more rail experience than perhaps the normal folk would. So, uh, like, what is a train ride for you going from Miami to Maryland like obviously plane would be much quicker but uh, do you find any uh, difference of joy in taking the scenic route as it were or is it just a, a big kind of a hey let's do it for safety and oh by the way this is tedious and terrible and not very fun it was not tedious it was not terrible you know uh, typical to, of me whenever I go away I have eight million things to finish before I go so the new book, I was reading, proofreading the galleys for the new book. So that probably took me a good 10 hours into the trip. Uh, I had a little sleeper compartment, so I was totally sealed off. My wife had packed me some great food to eat. Um, uh, you know, and then sl the sleeper car, your bed comes down from the ceiling for that. And, uh, and that was sort of like being in the top tier of a bunk bed. So it was kind of cool. It was sort of like camping on the train. I uh, enjoyed it. And then pulling into Baltimore, you know, I grew up in Baltimore. So this show really has a lot of emotional nostalgia for me. And I have pulled into that train station. I cannot tell you how many times in my life. So, you know, so it was, uh, it was cool. Like, you know, I'm the kind of guy, I love new experiences, you know, good, bad, whatever they are. It's just, uh, and, and it, was, it was a good experience. You had mentioned on the set that you are having this family reunion. Is it a scaled back family reunion? Do you have as many people as you normally would, or did that have to get cut back somewhat? No, we have the full crew. It's a crew of 20. Um, we've got three cameramen. We've got a sound guy. We've got uh, the stylist and the stylist assistant. We've got the chef and the chef's assistant. Uh, we've got gaffers, lighting guys, uh, COVID officer, directors, producers, um, but it's a very congenial uh, set. It's there's never a raised word. There's never it's, it's always a please and thank you, and we've done some really cool stuff this year. And one thing that I am loving is that it's a new feature on the show called the mystery box, 
And uh, so I come up to the set, and there's a giant wooden box on the uh, set. I don't know what's in it. I lift it up, and then I have to create a recipe on the spot, obviously using the grills in keeping with the theme of the show. Uh, and I have found that that's been my favorite part of the, uh, the show this, this year. I, um, I really love it. Stephen Reichland joining us here on the show, talking about the uh, second season of Project Fires are getting ready actually it's to, the third oh sorry third season believe third it or season. not that's right uh, yeah. and that's getting ready to wrap shooting here Thursday so this is going to be like a, a next spring release next grilling season release yeah April April first release all right and we're not kidding about and that, you know believe it or not it it takes two weeks to shoot uh, tw- thirteen episodes. And then it will take roughly two weeks of editing to produce each episode. So, I mean, it's a very long, involved process. You don't, you watch it on TV, you don't realize how much work goes into it. I was going to say, do you have any idea how many hours of straight, raw footage that you will have shot to what will end up being a nicely packaged, you know, 13 shows? Well, I'll give you an example. Today, uh, we arrived on the set at 7. We were shooting by, uh, let's say, 8.15. Uh, we struck at uh, about 7.15 tonight uh, with an hour off for lunch, and the rest of that was shooting time. It wasn't all shooting time. I mean, there's setup time, there's, uh, you know, they're doing stand-up times, but it, it's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of footage. What's the favorite thing that has happened this, uh, so far this week or over the last two weeks that you hadn't accounted for or hadn't planned on happening? Well, the mystery boxes, you know, that's, that's, uh, uh, and I don't want to spoil the surprise for people, so I'm not going to tell you what they're, uh, they are, but I've done five of them so far, and each one, you know, was a real surprise, and I just, I love that energy. I mean, it's, the funny way, it's the way I cook at home. I don't cook from recipes at home. I see either what I bought in, you know, about the, what we went, when we went shopping, or what's in the fridge, but this is like, that on steroids, you know, you open the box and there it is. And then they have a little pantry area where I can, I can go take other ingredients to, to round out the, uh, the dish. Um, and it's uh, very spontaneous and really fun. So that seems like a lot of competition barbecue or live fire shows have taken a similar concept where it's, uh, let's call it a chopped concept, for instance, where you open something, you have these secret ingredients, and uh, then there's the pantry, as you reference as well, that the contestants can use. Are you regularly approached by different production houses saying, hey, we want to put together, or we're in the process of putting together some type of a live fire grilling competition? Would you like to take part? I am, and I've also been approached by, you know, people that want to, want to create brand new shows. You know, and I always keep an open ear because I like to keep an open ear to everything. But I, I'm very happy at PBS. And uh, I think during the lockdown, you know, our kind of programming without commercials, without annoying advertisements and product placement and all, I think people really, really took comfort in that. Anything else before we put a bow on the shooting that you would like to share or tease in order to keep our zest for the third season? No, just uh, watch for it on your local PBS station, and um, I, I hope everybody enjoys it. All right, now, one of the things that I had seen on BarbecueBible.com recently was a post on how to grill the perfect chicken breast. And, uh, you know, probably not much to your surprise. Uh, I'm not a big chicken 
breast griller, uh, I do find that I just prefer chicken thighs more from a flavor standpoint. There's obviously a much bigger window of error should that factor in. But let's go ahead and talk about grilling a perfect chicken breast because I think there might be a tendency to think that that's just something really easy to do or perhaps worse, that it is going to be dry or a little flavorless no matter how well you cook it. Does not have to be dry. Does not have to be flavorless. Um, I, like you, prefer the dark meat, but uh, many people prefer, prefer the breast. I guess my favorite way for doing it is al matone, what the Italians call al matone, under a brick. And that is the chicken breast is marinated in olive oil, lemon juice, you know, rosemary, uh, sage, uh, hot pepper flakes, salt and pepper. And then when you grill it, you place a either a foil-wrapped uh, uh, brick uh, over it or lately I've been using salt slabs. But the idea is you press it into the grill grate. gives you killer grill marks for one. It compacts the meat and it also keeps the meat from drying out. Um, it's a very dramatic way to cook a chicken breast, and uh, you know, if you do it right, uh, the breast comes out every bit as succulent as the leg would. Are there any other tips as far as, in general, grilling a chicken breast that isn't going to dry up? Well, you know, a marinade is a big factor. Uh, sometimes I cut a breast, I cut a pocket in the side of the breast. Uh, and stuff it. I might stuff it with cheese or ham and cheese or sometimes an herb butter. So that's a way of getting moisture from the inside out. Uh, basting is important. Not overcooking it is important. Uh, grilling on a planche is another way to handle chicken breast. You know, planche being that uh, cast iron griddle that you put on your grill. And a lot of people are, you know, I, I find I'm doing that style of cooking much more. Uh, that gives you a great surface here, and you can add wood smoke, you know, via the uh, wood chunks on the coals. Do you want to make sure that the chicken breast, if you let's say you're doing uh, half a dozen or, or maybe up to a dozen, depending on what kind of a dinner that you're having, do you want to make sure that all these are similar in size, weight, and thickness to promote a even cook? Uh, that is a big help, yes, obviously. Uh, for me, I, I mean, I like to cook with organic chicken because I think it's raised more humanely and it eats a better diet, so it has a better flavor. And uh, I think it's just a, a more humanity to the process. Uh, basting is another. Uh, you know, I could write. You could write a whole book. I mean, you could write a, a whole giant book on cooking chicken breasts. Do I hear a Stephen Reichlin chicken book in the book? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so, no. but it would be uh, an interesting project. No doubt. Uh, Stephen Reichlin joining us here on the show. BarbecueBible.com is his website. I had saw, I had seen, uh, let's seven recipes that you might want to grill or smoke this month here in September. So we're just starting the third week here. So uh, some folks might have some making up to do, but wanted to ask you about a couple of these. One of them was a smoked Bloody Mary, and I know through various conversations that we have had, especially maybe in the winter months or, or trending into the cooler months, you've been a little bit more akin to smoking, let's say, uh, an old-fashioned or a Manhattan or something along these lines. But uh, a Bloody Mary, I'm not, uh, well, I don't uh, drink anymore, but um, I, I was never a, a Bloody Mary fan. I had tried it on any number of occasions. So uh, let's talk about 
Bloody Marys first and what you think makes a good one and then what the smoke adds and, and how you would add smoke to that? Great question. And by the way, I call the drink, I've rechristened the drink a Smoky Mary. Uh, so, uh, you know, you're talking basically a tomato juice base. The traditional uh, spirit was vodka. Vodka has absolutely no flavor, so I have no use for it. Uh, lately, I've been making my Bloody Marys with mezcal, uh, which is uh, a very smoky agave spirit, agave spirit uh, from Mexico. Uh, freshly grated horseradish is important. There should be some heat. Uh, lemon juice, lime juice is important. In terms of smoking it, a couple of ways you can proceed. If you're making in the pitcher and you have a smoking gun, and I love the smoking gun. It's kind of a bong that fires hickory smoke instead of uh, the other stuff. Uh, but you cover the mouth of the pitcher with saran wrap, place the hose of the smoking gun over it, fill the pitcher with smoke, let it infuse for four or five minutes, and pre uh, repeat two or three times, and you get a it's absolutely terrific delicious you know smoke i've called i've called smoke the umami of barbecue but it really it it makes everything you do on the grill or many things you eat it just makes it it's like it takes the the flavor into another dimension uh would you say it's like salt as far as a flavor amplifier or not necessarily yeah comparison? yeah that's a good analogy no that's a good analogy and it's also but it's also a flavor modifier uh, by the way, I assume many of your listeners are into mezcal, but if you're not, it's an amazing, amazing spirit. Uh, I actually traveled down to Oaxaca a few years ago to when I was writing Project Smoke. I wanted to see how uh, how it was made, and it's it's I mean it's it's virtually medieval, medieval distilling. In fact, there's a theory that you know everybody said the Spanish brought the art of distilling to the New World, but one of the stills I saw consisted of earthenware bowls and bamboo tubes uh, for the distilling. And it's very possible that the, uh, the Aztecs had figure out, figured out how to distill long before the Spanish arrived. So is there a familiar uh, tequila flavor uh, outside of the smokiness aspect that's added in there then? Yeah, but, you know... Tequila is like light beer next to mezcal. You know, it's uh, it's a very. And by the way, when you buy a mezcal, like Don Maguey is uh, is one. Uh, you don't want the one that has the worm in the bottle. That's pretty rot gut stuff. You, you know, there's a very. You can spend a lot of money uh, on um, on mezcals. This Del Maguey. They do single village mezcals, so each of theirs come from, comes from an individual distillery, and each, each one has a different flavor. Hmm. Stephen Reichland joining and us you know here. How they make it. You know how they make it? They oh. dig a giant fire pit, and they build an enormous fire in it, and then they toss the, they're called the piñas, the pineapples, the hearts of the cactus, into this fire pit after the wood has burned down. And then they bury it with earth and throw a tarp over it, and come back five days later. Oh, and so these cactus hearts have roasted until they're coal black. And at that point, they are mashed, uh, they're fermented, and then they're distilled. So you've got this amazing smoky flavor. All right. Well, that's where the smoky flavor comes from. So uh, how much longer from that point does it take to put in a bottle and then get it out to retail? Does it have to age for a certain period of time, or is it pretty much ready to go after fermentation? 
In general, it's pretty much ready to go after fermentation. There are some people who are experimenting with aging in whiskey barrels and sherry barrels and such. But in general, it's, you know, the time-consuming part comes in roasting the piñas. And then once it's distilled, it's ready to roll. All right, Stephen, I have two more questions for you before I let you to go, and I appreciate the time as always. Would you rather your voice sound like Elmo or Kermit the Frog? <laughs> Kermit the Frog. Of course. Uh, this is a Howard Stern-related question who I know uh, you're a fan of. Who's the better drummer, Neil Peart or John Bonham? Oh, boy. Uh, I sort of stopped paying attention to drummers, uh, drummers with Ginger Baker, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plead the fifth on that. All right. No doubt about it. Uh, you can find Stephen Reichlin right here on this show the third Tuesday of every month, and they are getting ready to wrap the third edition of Project Smoke, or the third season of Project Project Smoke. Fire. I'm sorry, Project, Project Fire. Fire. Uh, this coming Project Thursday. Fire. That's right. That's right. So uh, Project Fire will be out uh, April 1st next year, and we'll be looking for that. Uh, Stephen, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much for coming on. You always do a great job. Thanks, Greg. Bye-bye. You got it. There he is, Stephen Reichel. Right there. Wow. I said Project Smoke. I apologize. These are things that happen, right? I mean, you get a little excited. You got a Hall of Famer. The first show out was Project Smoke. You get told, no. He's a stickler for correctness now. I mean, don't be bringing the B game. You got to be bringing the A game for Steven, which I appreciate. Uh, My next guest, by the way, always bringing the A game too. So I better figure out my P's and Q's so I don't shove my foot in my mouth again. Before we get to Daniel Vaughn, I will talk to you quickly about the Barbecue Guru believing that outdoor cooking is easy and fun because it can be easy and fun. How? Well, you can use the Barbecue Guru temperature control devices. If you have a kettle-style cooker, if you have a Weber Smoky Mountain or Bullet-style smoker, Uh, Some of the bigger offsets can actually accommodate these as well. If you have any questions, you just go over to the website, bbqguru.com, or you can call them and ask all your questions at 800-288-GURU. That's 800-288-GURU. Now, if you're in the market for a ceramic cooker, they make one. The Monolith is the world's first temperature-controlled smoker with a built-in power draft fan. That means smarter control and greater freedom with automatic temperature or with automatic temperature controlled devices. Now, if you have a Guru controller already and you buy a monolith, you don't need to buy an additional controller. You can just take the one that you have, hook it to the power draft fan built in, and away you go. If you want to upgrade to the newest technology, you have the DynaQ and the uh, NanaQ, depending on you know what price you're looking to get into. So all you have to do is hit up the website, bbqguru.com, or call them with your questions, 800-288-GURU. That's 800-288-GURU. The Barbecue Guru continues to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. We will be back with Daniel Vaughn from Texas Monthly right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. 
Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show is being brought to you by CookingPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all of your pellet-driven cookers. So, visit CookingPellets.com for more information. You can also purchase there and see what they have. You can also buy on Amazon.com if you would prefer. Whatever you like. Certainly up to you. My next guest is the barbecue editor for Texas Monthly Magazine. You also see him on this show from time to time as we talk about the world of barbecue and more. We race to the hotline. And welcome back, friend of the show, Daniel Vaughn. Hey, Daniel. How's it going? I am doing fabulous. Appreciate you making time for the show this evening and looking forward to our conversation here. Before we start, let me start with you where I ended with Steven. Best rock and roll drummer is it neil peart or john bonham i don't know if i have a strong opinion about that let's go with dave grohl <laughs> the death leopard guy let's i mean one arm. i mean between the two you don't have a favorite i mean why do these two probably widely considered to be the pinnacle of you know rock and roll drumming greg i'm the barbecue snob i'm not the drummer snob i'm sorry all right so uh so what, what did you say the answer was? Oh, Dave Grohl. <laughs> I mean, he's he is multi talented. I mean, I got it. I mean, he loves yeah. barbecue. Yeah. Oh, he well. loves barbecue. Yeah, you're right. You know what? You're right. He is the best barbecue guy. Drummer, guitar, singer, kind of, but uh, definitely a, a, a very pat. I mean, you've met him, right? You've hung with him. I, I haven't met him. No, no. no? I'm, I'm not cool enough to be hanging with him. No. Oh, I, I figured. But I, uh, I do. I do hear he hangs out at Memphis in May and. Uh, some other barbecue competitions. He watches Malcolm Reed religiously. I've heard him mention him in like other podcasts and stuff. Yeah, yeah, very popular. And I, I mean, from some of the photos, it looks looks like he can cook too. Yeah, absolutely. He's got a lang, or uh, maybe he's even added. Uh, I guess he's probably got multi cooker syndrome at this point. So uh, we we both love Dave Grohl. We'll leave it. At I that. know what that feels like. Yeah, of course. Um, so last Thursday, you release a story about. Two Austin, Texas women who are hoping or perhaps are, are even in the process of building or growing a lab, a, a, a brisket made in a laboratory. Now, 10 years ago. Or as they say, cultivating. Cultivating. Okay, I was, I was trying to there figure out go. what the right word. So cultivating a brisket. Now, 10 years ago, I think the world would have blown up or at least gotten thrown off its axis when we would talk about this. Uh, now with the mention of uh, lab-grown anything that involves meat, however, given the rise of, let's say, Beyond Meat or Impossible Burger or non-meat meat options, doesn't seem that far out of bounds. So before we talk about this more in depth, how does this concept grab you as a Texas guy? Well, um, you know, it is a little strange to think about the idea of uh, – even when I was talking with the, the founders of this company, I, I was using the term plant-based meat and then correcting myself. Like it's meat-based meat. Real meat. Um, it uses bovine cells. Uh, it is grown completely from bovine cells. Um, it's just not grown inside the body of a cow. Uh, <laughs> so they, <laughs> they're engineering this like scaffold system to to build these cells or to allow these cells to grow uh, and replicate on this scaffolding system to create uh, what they 
hope to, I mean, they hope to bring to the world the, uh, the lab based brisket. Now my, my question to them, my first question to them was if you were designing meat from scratch, like the cut, I don't think I would choose as a brisket, <laughs> uh, you know, we love it in barbecue, of course, but uh, a lot of the reasons we love it in barbecue is because it is so difficult of a cut of meat to turn into something tender and delicious. So uh, I was like, I would maybe want like a whole steers where the ribeyes. Well, did they say why brisket? I mean, was it just to be a little bit more uh, courageous, as it were? You know, when you and I get together, we're courageous, but uh, or is it because it's a That's Texas right. thing, and you know, we want to do yeah, brisket? They're, they're like, Texans, you know. Yeah. This is an it's, it's an Austin uh, a company founded in Austin. Um, it'll be uh, it's a doctor from the University of Texas, um, and and part of their argument was the fact that. Uh, with this bio BQ company that if they create a brisket, then they could pretty much engineer any other cut. Like if they could get the difficulty of the structure of a brisket with all the collagen and the fat and the layers and, and all that, that if they could build that, then they could build a, a filet pretty easily. Any idea how long it takes to, well, I mean, there's so many other questions. Three weeks. Three weeks to grow. How big? And is it a or, whole or, packer? Sorry, three, three, three months. Three months. Three months. So. Uh, Yes. How three months, which is the, they compared it to like the, the life of a cow, right? The gestation period of a right. cow plus the, uh, you know, plus getting a, a, a calf up to eight, about 18 months old to when they're slaughtered. So it's about a 27 month process for that to happen. If you, if you count that full gestation period. So from that comparison, it's quite a bit shorter. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. The, the biggest hurdle is going to be overcoming just the fact that, uh, You've got two crowds, right? You've got, you, you think you're designing this for the, like the vegan vegetarian crowd. Are they going to be comfortable eating animal protein? Um, and then, you know, for the carnivores out there, the, uh, the folks who love to eat meat and, and are always looking for new and interesting ways uh, or new and interesting cuts and needs and whatever, are they going to be open-minded enough to try something grown in a lab? So they are kind of in a tough spot kind of in between those two crowds, I think. All right, so let's wade through that murkiness for a second. For the vegetarians, it would seem like it would just be a, a flat rebuff. It's not plant-based, so it's not following their ideals or, or what they would normally eat. So since this is uh, you know bovine cells and it's going to be real-ass meat, that would seem to preclude them from jumping in on that on principle alone. Where I think the more interesting item is going to be is because we have seen, I guess, a wide acceptance of these plant-based meats. Uh, you know, I don't know how successful they are, or perhaps they, they haven't seen as much success this year as they did last year, given the circumstances we're in, what have you, maybe it doesn't have anything to do with anything, but because we have seen those two companies, especially dominate the market in varying ways, uh, ground beef, uh, patties, sausages, and the like, could there be some potential uh, consumer confusion thinking that a real lab-cultivated brisket is somehow tied in or, or we're not being told the truth, it's really plant-based, but in reality, it's not? Yeah, uh I mean, I, it all comes down really to the the reasons in which you became a vegetarian or a vegan to begin with. Was it because of animal cruelty issues? And and if so, do you think that as long as an animal didn't have to die to create this, uh, the, it starts from the biopsy 
it starts from a biopsy from uh, from a cow, uh, which is where they how they harvest the cells to begin with. So that steer cow or whatever doesn't die in the process. So uh, Katie Cam is the one who created uh, is the creator of this company, and that was her argument was um, she became a vegetarian to try and get away from the uh, the cruelty to animals uh, in in her opinion, and so. Therefore, this solves that problem for her. Are we I mean, it's strange. I know. I mean, <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I would try it. Yeah. I would try it. Oh, well, that I mean, was going to be one of my questions. Any, different, yeah. any kind of brisket, any kind of smoked <laughs> brisket. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm a writer. You, you give me the opportunity to write about a lab-grown like smoked brisket, I'm going to do it. Sure. Is it going to be 20 pounds or is it like a small flat? Or, I mean, or this real-ass size brisket? I have no idea. I mean, I imagine there a lot of them are going to look pretty similar, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't even think they've gotten that far exactly. When you spoke with them, did you at all do the rosy picture of hey, the first ones are going to be great success? It's going to be widely accepted in the meat consuming public. Like, can they scale this bitch up and then like they're the next Swift or you know IBP or, or whoever? Or is that yeah. going to take a while? Yeah, that, that's going to be their biggest challenge. I mean, the funding in order to get the uh, to get even that first brisket is going to be certainly their first hurdle. Um, but then their their next big problem is going to be scaling up. You know, what does that look like? What uh, what does a warehouse um, that's growing lab grown meat look like? Like, what are the downfalls? What uh, what's the loss ratio? Um, how much does it cost just to get this equipment on a massive scale? Yeah, um, I, you know, I. I Nobody knows that right now. Forty pound or forty dollars a pound brisket. I would have to imagine there's going to be a lot of cost in this. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> this is not going to be cheap. Yeah, I mean the the American beef industry has done everything they can to uh, to make any cut of beef that comes out of an animal as, as inexpensive as possible. So um, yeah, I don't think there's any way that in the, in the beginning they're going to be able to compete just based on the the scale. I mean. There are 13 million cattle in Texas right now alone. Uh, it's, you know, 26 million briskets. Uh, so that's, yeah. Uh, did they give it's you any, way to go. did they give you any kind of a finish line here for the first one at least? Well, I mean, it's all, like I said, it's all like funding dependent, but they, they are hoping 2023 is when they get, they're going to be able to take their first bite of that first brisket. Uh, so certainly not, available on your grocery store shelves at that point. Daniel Vaughn joining me here on the show, Texas Monthly's barbecue editor, tmbbq.com is the website, and we're talking about the lab-cultivated brisket. So, uh, I mean, you're excited to try it, so uh, I guess more, well, probably for taste and being able to write about it. Um, So uh, I guess we'll see how that goes. Uh, Let's go ahead and, and talk a little bit about barbecue and television for the remainder here of the segment. Um, there is a barbecue contest show that is coming up this Friday on Netflix. The actually, showdown. Yeah, the American barbecue showdown. I'm going to have uh, Kevin Bloodsoe on to close out the show in the next hour. Uh, but uh, I assume you'd watch the trailer. So as you watch it, you've seen barbecue on television before. Does it smack you with something original or outside of the box or a lot of the same? Well, I, you know, I've I've read some reviews of the 
full episodes. Um, the I think the Atlanta Journal Constitution, uh, Jim Ockmuty wrote about it, and he said that the idea behind it is that it's sort of the anti barbecue pitmasters in the sense that there's not the well, it, there's no Myron Mixon attitude. Like that's basically mm. shows creators have said it was part of their goal. Um, and but but in the end, like it's still this structured timed barbecue competition show where the the whole point is to create drama by throwing people like, you know, just left hooks here and there and saying, all right, well, here's a, here's an alligator. You got to throw on the pit along with this, or you got, you know, 30 minutes left. You got to serve a side with this. Like it's still not so much about judging people specifically on their skills as a pit master it's about like how well can they play this game and you know how well can they pivot and sort of uh i don't know use the drama to their advantage rather than uh to their disadvantage so i don't know um you know i've i i loved uh i mean i loved watching like aaron franklin's master class right and that's like his, his, he spent four hours cooking a brisket and that is like the absolute opposite end of this, right? It's this like sort of really detailed finite look at how to cook a brisket versus, uh, you know, Oh my gosh, we, we taped like barbecue sauce bottles on their hands and now they've got to like trim this brisket. Like, you know, I'm not, I, I don't learn a whole lot from that. So I, I'm, I mean, I'm open-minded. I, I'm going to watch it for sure. Yeah. I just hope that it's more of the, it's more educational than it is uh, just trying to create drama. All right, that was going to be my next question. Uh, the other item uh, that's barbecue-related and on Netflix, uh, which I, I guess to me seems a little odd that Netflix is uh, kind of making this foray into live fire to, to whatever degree they are, but the chef's table. It's about time. Is it? Jeez. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, come on. I have no idea. I don't, Barbecue's I don't... hot. How long have you been doing this show? They're way behind. Uh, 12 years? What do you mean? You know exactly how long. There you go. Um. Chef's Table is out. I mean, that's been around for a while, but now they have a dedicated portion to some live fire folks. And the first one that I had watched after hearing about it and people sending me links like they were the first one to tell me about it was uh, the one on Snow's Barbecue, uh, obviously specifically focusing on uh, Tootsie Tominance and uh, her rise into the barbecue superstar and Hall of Famer that she is today. And it was you know, quite the slow roll. So we're obviously not going to have you go back and you know, give us the way beginnings. Well, 50 to, years ago. Yeah, right. So uh, when – what I guess nobody was telling me as they were sending me these links was what a substantial and primary part Daniel Vaughn actually played in this Chef's Table episode. I mean, here you are in the, you know, darkly, sexually lit corner of a bar and you're giving us the recap of – you know, That's what I'm trying to recreate right now. Oh yes, I mean it's it's pretty good. You're, I mean you're damn sexy. There's no doubt about it. There's no two ways about it. Well, so you. uh, as you're giving some history and some insights and some anecdotes, uh, are you approached like first saying, "Hey, we're, we're thinking about putting this together, and how can you fit in, or, or or we want you to be a part of this? How how do you think you can help, or how does that whole thing come together on your end?" Well, it didn't start off with them. Uh, promising me any involvement whatsoever. Um, and 
and I'll, I'll tell you, I, honestly, when the show came out, like I didn't see any previews other than the trailer that everybody else got to see. Mm. I didn't see any rough cuts. Uh, I had no idea how much or how little I was in it. I know that I sat down for an interview for about uh, four hours or so in Lexington at, at a bar right down the street from Snow's Barbecue. And, uh, you know, I know I answered a lot of questions, but I knew they were also talking to some other folks. And certainly they were going to be talking to Tootsie and the, the owner, Carrie Bexley, uh, quite a lot. So I didn't know how much I, would, I was going to be in it. Uh, so that was a little surprising. And it was fun to sit down with my kids who uh, they know Tootsie really well. Um, they've spent some time with her, had dinner with her. Like she's got suckers for them when they show up at Snows. So they were sitting down, like excited to watch the show about Tootsie. And then, um, then my voice came on and they're like, Oh, you're it. You're in this too. <laughs> uh, but, but as far as like when it, when it all began, it went back to, uh, one of the producers from the show had contacted me just over Instagram and said, Hey, I, I know that you know, the people at snows, um, we're kind of having a hard time getting them interested at all in filming the show. So do you, do you like chef's table? Do you know chef's table? I said, yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of the show. I've seen quite a few episodes and, uh, they just asked if I would talk to Carrie Bexley and maybe, maybe inform him that this is a little bit bigger than your average, like, you know, five minute segment on the food network yeah. or whatever. And so I, I talked to him about that and it took a couple of months and then, he uh, he agreed to go ahead and be on the show, and then they asked me to come and sit down for that interview. Uh, obviously, it's gone very well. Everybody that I've talked to that's seen it uh, loves it on many different facets. It's you. It's the history of Tootsie. It's uh, seeing snows. It's the promotion of snows. Do you think this is going to have a, a huge uptick for them, or are, is it a weird dichotomy of being on Netflix probably in the worst time to be on Netflix if you're in that kind of business. <laughs> yes. Cause they're closed. <laughs> yes, right. I mean, they are, <laughs> they are still cooking. They're still cooking twice a week and to fulfill all their shipping orders, which they certainly saw an abundance of over the past week. They were sold out for a while over the weekend, but they, they do cook twice a week. Maybe they're cooking more now. Uh, Carrie Bexley shared a photo of all the merchandise that they had packaged up in one day uh, that they were shipping out on Monday and it was just like boxes and boxes full of envelopes. Um, but they are, I, I believe they're making some changes at snows to try and find a way to be open. Hmm. Uh, they are expanding. So yeah, Carrie hasn't really explained it, but he's been, um, showing uh, photos of slabs being poured and large equipment running around snow's barbecue. So uh, it, it looks like what they're trying to do is create a situation where instead of just the sort of cramped dining area that they have now, which doesn't really work so well for social distancing that they are going to do something to try and try and be able to reopen. And, you know, they're only open once a week, but yeah. you know, uh, Carrie, you know, Carrie's uh He's got Tootsie is his right hand woman there. She's 85 years old. Like, can you imagine his position? Like, do I really want to let all these people into this restaurant who all want to come and take a photo with right. her, or, you know, give her a hug and all that? Like, it's just so dangerous for her right now. So uh, I think they're trying to create a situation where they could, they can be open. But yeah, I know that they're frustrated right now. Uh, I know that Miss Tootsie is, she misses her, um, 
all of her customers. Sure. You know, she misses that all, all that action on Saturday, all that attention, all those conversations, uh, just being able to see the people who are happy with what she cooks. I mean, the last line in that Netflix show is, uh, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's her saying that she maybe won't see any of these people again, but she's happy that she made them happy. And that's hard to know. That's almost impossible to know when you, um, you know, put the meat in cryovac and put it in a box and ship it off versus, you know, seeing them eat that and, and seeing their immediate reactions. From so let me ask this question, and I don't mean to take this into in a weird, like, dark place or anything, but Tootsie's 85, uh, you know, newsflash, yeah. nobody makes it out of this game alive. How yep. does Snow's change when that happens? Is it something where Snow's might become even more popular because now it's a, a landmark and, you know, some type of, of place to go pay respect? Or could it go a different way, uh, go completely downhill? How do you foresee that? Well, I mean, as far as like the, the amount of business that they would see, I mean, certainly there are people that go there just to see Miss Tootsie. Uh, you know, she's become that famous at this point. But the other side of that is, I mean, Snows has, they've hit legendary status. And once you hit legendary status, like you are a destination for decades to come. Mm. You're in every guidebook, you're in every list, like, you, you know, you are going to be in every reference where people are looking to see where to go eat barbecue. So, um, you know, when, when Tootsie retires, then, you know, that's, uh, it's still going to be in that legendary status. Uh, I mean, Carrie is one heck of a cook. And then, I mean, you saw Clay Cowgill just a little bit in the episode, but I mean, they showed the brisket it snows, but they were really careful not to give you the idea or not to say that, that Tootsie <laughs> cooks it because she doesn't. She right. she works all those flat pits, all those direct heat pits, and it's Clay over there uh, who is cooking all those fantastic briskets. I mean, uh, an entire smoker full of them. And um, he, he's doing a lot of the pork ribs as well. So, um, you know, it's not like they ha- they're going to lack talent. I mean, they're certainly going to lack a superstar in Miss Tootsie, but, uh, you know, the, the other thing about though, this time, the fact that she's not working there and not working at the, the school either, which is her day job, yep. um, is, is working maintenance for the school district is in many conversations I've had with her. That's what keeps her going. That's what keeps her alive. She thinks that's what helps separate her from a lot of her friends who have passed on is that they retire and they kind of go to their, you know, their lazy boy and uh, just kind of wither away. And she hasn't done that. She's, she gets the energy from all this activity and uh, from everything that she does week after week and not having that is uh, is a big challenge for her. Daniel Vaughn is joining me here on the show. You can find him writing over at Texas Monthly. TMBBQ.com is the website to check him out at. And if you haven't seen Chef's Table, make sure that you hop on Netflix and check that out. Are you in any of the other uh, episodes there for that live fire one or just the the uh, snows? Yeah, just snows. I mean, I love the one on Rodney Scott. Like, um he shared a lot about his sort of family strife that he hasn't ever really shared publicly. And, um, 
you know, I, I wrote a book with Sam Jones about Eastern North Carolina whole hog barbecue. And so I know so much about that. So watching Rodney do still the same thing, it's whole hog over coals, but doing it a completely different way uh, was really interesting and really enlightening. So that, that was that was definitely fun to watch. We'll look for the barbecue game show this coming Friday, and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. Thanks for coming on, Daniel. All right. Thanks for having me. You got it. There he is, Daniel Vaughn, right there and right here on the show. The editor for a barbecue editor for Texas Monthly Barbecue. Great insight there, no doubt. If you haven't seen the chef's table, it's great. Very compelling. Obviously, a lot of history that if you're not overly familiar with who uh, Tootsie Tominance is, a lot of background. The husband and son passing away very quickly between each other. And as Daniel had mentioned, she is a worker. So this has to be causing her the most stress, not being able to to get out and work and do the stuff that she has been for so long. Once again, that was Daniel Vaughn. You can find him at tmbbq.com. And we're back to wrap the first hour right after this. This is Basketball, the Barbecue Wizard, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Bye-bye. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. And this portion of the show being brought to you by Fireboard. Fireboard 2, Fire. Or to drive, monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously, connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring, or connect via Bluetooth. If you have Alexa or the Google Assistant in your home, you're in luck because Fireboard is fully integrated with both. You can find out more by visiting Fireboard.com or call 816-945-2232. And some new stuff coming up here before the end of the year, so we'll have Ted Conrad on to talk about that when he is ready. Captain Ron says that the live fire episode from Australia was unreal. Well, I'm through the Tootsie. Now I'm ready for episode two tomorrow. Maybe. We'll see what's happening tomorrow. I'm not a big TV guy. Netflix or otherwise. I like music. I'll reveal who I think the best rock and roll drummer is between Neil Peart and John Bonham before this show ends. Why don't you guys weigh in on the instant chat? Neil Peart or John Bonham? We head to the second hour. Stick around. We'll be right back.